0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hey, very warm well. welcome to this Thursday edition of Squawbox with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Cedric, and these are your headlines. Asian stocks extending their slide after President Trump says China will pay for reneging on trade commitments as Beijing's top negotiator heads to Washington for more talks. They're flying in. The vice yeah. premier tomorrow is flying in. Good man. But they broke the deal. They can't do that. So they'll be paying. China vows who take necessary countermeasures if the U.S. hikes tariffs on Chinese goods.
1: Huawei's CFO will seek a stay of extradition proceedings as lawyers plan to argue that President Trump has linked her case to a trade deal with China, making it politically motivated. Strength in theme parks helps Disney beat on the top and bottom line in the second quarter, as the company reveals its Avengers Endgame blockbuster will stream exclusively on Disney Plus at the end of the year.
0: So good morning, everybody. So much global news going on. Of course, we have got uh, an eye on all kinds of major geopolitical events, including uh, China, US, Iran situation today, a whole host of issues. But we are looking at the corporate news as well. And I was just looking at the analyst recommendations on Deutsche Telekom. And I was really surprised that they're actually rather effusive uh, in terms of what the analysts have got out there. Good morning to good you, morning. Karen. There is one strong seller. There are two sellers. There are four whole holders, six buyers, and 11 strong buyers, so there's great conviction amongst the analyst community on a stock which is actually year-to-date done nothing, uh, up only 0.74 of 1% year-to-date. The three-month performance slightly more hardening up 5.6%. But what about the numbers today? Well, let's have a look at them. They have confirmed their 2019 guidance. Uh, Their 2019 adjusted EBITDA uh, will be 23.9 billion euros, so says the group. Free cash flow will be 6.7 billion euros. And the first quarter revenues have beaten expectations at the first decimal 19.5 billion euros as opposed to 19.3 expected and at a adjusted ebitda level uh, adjusting for leases Slightly lower than expectations at 5.9 billion as opposed to 6.1 expected. So 4% gain in first quarter core profits. But uh, very interesting to see that the analyst community rather effusive on this one. uh, 4.7% dividend yield over at Deutsche Telekom.
1: Right, it might be a bit of international game playing going on here because uh, I'm picking up on a report from uh, some of the brokers playing the merger with T-Mobile and Sprint and saying the best way to do that is through Deutsche Telekom because as you get a collaboration in the United States market with a couple of major players, you might get better rollout of 5G, better development prospects so getting first to the front of the pack on 5G is quite key when it comes to customers so there might be an element of that coming into the Deutsche Telekom trading price. Just on the other side when it comes to competition domestically at home there are a few challenges on the broadband space because uh, Vodafone in an effort to try and get a deal through, uh, picking up the assets from Liberty Global has mm-hmm. been trying to open up the broadband space right. for more competition. And of course, that encroaches on Deutsche Telekom's lunch. So, a few moving pieces, I think, at this stage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to spend a lot more time later on looking at Disney and Fox as well. And we used, I mean, in the old days, like we used to talk about TMT, and I think TMT is actually, as an acronym, is, is relevant. 20 years ago, or today, as it was 20 years ago, telecoms, media, technology. The merger and the uh, or the opacity between the three individual sectors, I think it's still very much there. Certainly on the M and the T part, anyway.
1: It's funny, a lot of uh, companies are still trying to do that element of merger uh, in Europe. They're still trying to bring those different parts of the business together, but to me, the next frontier is 5G. Well, call it
0: horizontal siloing, it's right. a horrible phrase. But
1: 5G is the future, and if you're still working on that to try and bolster profits, Mm-hmm. Um, some form of what like, quad play, or used to be triple play or quad play now, then you're, it feels like but, you're but kind of behind there, isn't it? I mean, chase. You look
0: at, for instance, a Vodafone offering or a BT offering here in the United Kingdom as well. I mean, it's hard to say w- whether they're triple quad or quin or penta play. Would you right. get pentaplay play or quin play? Uh, but, you know, it, you have everything, don't you, And all of these companies. You have many offerings, whether it be media offerings, media packages, bundles... Uh, of course, your fibre, your mobile and your landlines, there's it's, it's, it's a lot in there.
1: But that's been the game for several years yes. in terms of chasing profits, because it's been a very low growth industry almost, you know, the typical but utility. It, has it? I mean, you look at
0: BT oh, well, and Philip Jansen, who we're going to get numbers out from um, this week as well. Philip Jansen, the, the big question is, does he keep the dividend? So, it hasn't necessarily worked for the when you say it hasn't like
1: delivered. Has it not delivered in the sense that would the numbers have been reversing, if not for this protective play to try and bolster earnings? Uh, uh, the problem is that I think really what more, more is required. And there's been a couple of companies globally that have gone after more in the form of digital solutions, becoming truly digital companies. Yeah. Turkcell is one of them. So, when you look at its growth numbers, much, much higher than the rest of the peers in the sector. is that an EM demographic
0: as much as actually the structural change in the industry have thwarted the best efforts of management teams. I look at BT here and I'm looking at a five-year chart. And back in 2015, they were approximately, I got on my chart, I think 70% higher than they are now. I mean, it's extraordinary. You've got a stock, which is, and this will make our viewers interested, a 7% dividend yield, which may or may not be there in the future.
1: You've got to sell more and you've got to sell stuff differently. I mean, if you think about a lot of these um, these groups, uh, and if you go into even the, the retail customer division, what have you got? I've oh, got an array of phones, that the same phones on offer as a rival, and your package pricing is effectively the same. So there's not a lot of differentiation. So it's very hard to sell more and sell it better than a rival. If you think about 5G and the capabilities, offering digital solutions to a business, uh, even to retail customers, the type of streaming packages you have, how good so they that's are. the difference between you and I. Maybe there's more you in You look at the 5G coastline?
0: and you look at the opportunities. I look at 5G and look at I look at the costs. <laughs> uh, maybe that sums us up anyway. You're in far more sunny a disposition than I am. Can you find anything sunny in the disposition out of the US market?
1: Uh, well, let's try and take a look because uh, we did see some falls for the S&P and Nasdaq, but the Dow was trading positive. The problem here is that after a fairly decent sell-off, you mentioned to have a recovery trade. And to me, this does not look like a recovery trade when you're on the flatline uh, on the best of it uh, for the major indices. So there is a huge element of caution now as we count down to the end of the week. And some of the copy out there suggesting that it's going to be up to the vice premier of China to try and save these trade talks after uh, comments uh, from US president Donald Trump about the deal of being broken yesterday. So the market keeping its bets in place a little bit either way. They've, they've taken stock of uh, some of the language and sold off. They're not buying back into the markets, and they're, they're wait, watching and waiting to see whether there is a trade deal because very different scenarios could play out here. Don't forget, as we've seen an escalation in the trade war in the past, tit for tat type of tariffs, that the global economy has been derailed from very strong economic growth rates. And if we're back in that type of scenario, well, we may see a very different course of trade on stock markets. So the end of this week shaping up to be a very high profile for investors and as a result we're not straying too far from this flat line. when it comes to individual components of the market utilities one of the laggards down 1.4 percent crude though did provide a little bit of a prop to this market yesterday After some selling in previous sessions, crude was actually up 1.1%. So a drawdown in inventory is noted, and that was an element uh, providing a little bit of a support base for what is a broadly weaker market at this stage. Now, Asian markets, uh, let's see how they're travelling through the rest of the week. We've got Chinese stocks trading lower by 1.3%. They've tried to remain resilient uh, despite some of the disappointment around trade, but you can see today falling back into the red. Hong Kong down 1.7%. We did have uh, some data that's crossed and this is on producer prices. uh, 0.9% from a year earlier in China. Quickest pace in December. Elsewhere, uh, Australia putting in some gains, about a third of a percent for uh, that market. Uh, Let's push on and take a look elsewhere uh, directly at the Chinese market. You can see this is how the three majors shape up. The Shenzhen, the one that is a little bit more contained again. and That's again where you saw that fairly steep sell-off on day one of the, the trade disappointment. Dollar climbing to the you on. Steve.
0: Right, Beijing has pledged to retaliate if President Trump follows through with his threat to hike tariffs on $200 billion worth of goods. That's after the US leader struck a defiant tone on trade at a Florida rally. Eunice is with us in Beijing. Now, Eunice, I know you've got the sound from the president as well. And as ever, it's very robust, it's very undiplomatic, but that is the style of the US president as well. So I have two questions for you. I'm probably going to ruin your scripted hit here. Not that you have to script it here, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but two points. One, what's it? how did the Chinese, in terms of their psyche, in terms of the face they put forward to the world, respond? Do they ever get as, as as gnarled and aggressive as the president? Will they ever do that or is that just not in the way? And two, they said they can respond. How will they respond? Good morning.
2: They're going to, they've already responded, and um, they responded aggressively. So, yes, they are matching the president. But in terms of the sound that you're talking about, President Trump was doubling down on his tariff threat at that rally that you were talking about in Florida. He essentially blamed China for um, his decision to revive his long-delayed tariff plan. This is what he said.
0: You see the tariffs would do doing? Because
2: they broke the deal. They broke the
0: deal. They broke the deal. So they're flying in. The Vice Premier tomorrow is flying in, good man. But they broke the deal. They can't do that. So they'll be paying. We don't make the deal. Nothing wrong with taking in over $100 billion a year.
2: 100 billion. We never did that before. The Chinese did come out swinging. Uh, The Commerce Ministry late last night had issued a statement saying that the Chinese side deeply regrets that if the U.S. tariff measures are implemented, China will have to take necessary countermeasures. So there are a lot of questions and concerns about what those countermeasures might be. Uh, But um, as uh, the president was um, suggesting when he said that the the Chinese had broken the deal, uh, his administration has felt that uh, China was uh, backsliding on the tenants of the trade deal. Uh, Meanwhile, the uh, Chinese delegation has arrived in Washington. And I spoke with a source on the Chinese side who's uh, quite familiar with the way the negotiators have been thinking. And uh, he said that the vice premier is uh, going to go in um, probably quite friendly, trying to um, clear up any misunderstanding, would seek to uh, get those tariffs lifted, but at the same time would present China's bottom line. And he had said that, he told me that um, uh, within the government that a lot of people believe that uh, changing, that the U.S. attempting to change China's political or economic system is seen as an infringement of China's sovereignty. Now, uh, one other important note, uh, that Liu has been demoted for this trip. He no longer has the title of the president's a special envoy. So uh, that means that his scope for the type of compromises that he himself can make is really not very wide. Now, um, the U.S. companies, I would mentioned some of the concerns about the, the countermeasures. U.S. companies have already been uh, bracing for a fallout. A lot of them have been complaining to me, saying that uh, they're worried about the financial fallout because of the tariffs, that 25% just isn't sustainable. Uh, but at the same time, Time they've also been they've also been noting some other developments that Chinese procurement companies have been favoring European rivals when it comes to certain deals. They've also said that um, they've been asked now to uh, sign contracts in renminbi as opposed to U.S. dollars, so that uh, the U.S. company takes on any of the currency risk from a potential fallout. And finally, they're just um, generally worried about what China has has described before as uh, the qualitative measures when it comes to the countermeasures. Because um, in that statement that the commerce ministry made, they didn't say that they were going to fight back with tariffs only. They said countermeasures. So really anything can be on the table. So, so a lot of these companies are say, saying this means greater fire inspections, customs checks, anti-monopoly investigations. So they're, they're preparing for all of it. But, but obviously this is um, a, a great, uh, creating a lot of uncertainty within the business environment here.
0: Fabulous. Thank you very much indeed for that, Eunice. Always a great pleasure hearing your thoughts on, on these conversations. Uh, just one thing I want to say, uh, and look, I was looking very carefully at what the president said, um, and I'll just quote the last part of what he's had to say. He said, nothing wrong with taking in over $100 billion a year. $100 billion, We never did that before. Now, that's fine. That will be extra money that is taken in by the customs and border agencies from... Well, from who? And it's not from the Chinese. And this is the point that I think the president has to, well, whether he says or not to people, these are American customers, American companies, buying Chinese goods who pay that at the border or thereafter as well. These are American companies paying taxes to the American system as well. Now, whether they pass that on to the Chinese, whether they pass it on to the customer, whether they cut costs, whether they do uh, a smorgasbord of all three, that remains to be seen. But it is American companies... Who are importing these goods, who are paying these taxes? Let's just be honest about that.
1: Companies that got the tax cuts a previous year that bolstered their earnings are mm. now going to see a hit in these numbers effectively. And this again takes us back to corporate profits. It what does. does it look like this year? And will they be flattered by an extraordinary event? And well, possibly not if uh, tariffs are going to be added into the equation. We have, a, we have a very
0: knowing audience, so let me just add this one in as well. Is it a sport to not pay taxes? Is it a sport to create losses? Uh, on your profits over a, let's say, an 11-year period from 1984 to 1995. Just chucking that one out there. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, the rate of Chinese producer price inflation has hit a four-month high on the back of rising commodity prices. PPI rose by 0.9% on the year, beating expectations on the consumer front. Inflation hit a six-month high as African swine fever led to higher pork prices. Right, Okay. Let us move back to the Italian banking sector. How privileged we were to have 25 minutes yesterday with the Intesa San Paolo CEO Carlo Messina as well. I thought he was really robust and absolutely fascinating about what he had to say about the European Commission and the EBA and the ECB treatment of Italian debt and bad loans. You have to look at the broader sector. Peer Group 4 in Tessa is Unicredit, but Unicredit shares have had a dismal run. Let's be honest about it. They are down 34% over the past 12 months. And as you can see, in the last three months, there has been a rally off the lows. Now, what about the numbers? Well, 1.4 billion euros net profit in the first quarter versus one23 Beg pardon, to nine expected by the company as well. The revenues, 5 billion euros. That's in line with expectations. Maybe a slight beat at a decimal. Uh, what else have we got? A CET1 ratio, 12.25% at the end of March with a fully loaded MDA buffer of 219 basis points. Stay with us, everybody. Uh, non-performing loans exposure ratio. This is exactly where Carlo Messina was coming in yesterday. 7.6% as opposed to 7.7%. Um, targets to be at the upper End of our 200 to 250 basis points MDA buffer. (sniffs) by the end of twenty. That's a good news story, by the way. I shouldn't be rude. I mean, it's just that sometimes you get lost in acronyms, don't we?
1: Yeah, it's funny when we look at a couple of the major Italian lenders, the capital buffers are not too bad. But where we targeted our questioning yesterday was around those non-performing loans. It, if you're doing it. a comparison with Germany, and Messina gave us a very strong defence about how they use the balance sheet and how they you know, effectively offer up loans because they have so much wealth management. However, that said, they're still targeting reduction in NPLs. It's not acceptable to have NPLs at the current level. And if you think about where we're at the cycle, how much more room do we have to clean up that side of the portfolio before there is another downturn where credit quality again swivels around. You start seeing escalation in those NPLs. So starting point matters. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It was a great debate and um, I'm pretty sure that's online at cnbc.com if you want to have a look at that as well. Uh, Ahead, European leaders. Well, most European leaders, as one notable exception, prepare to meet in Romania later today with populism, trade concerns, and Brexit casting a shadow on those talks. We'll be out to Romania with Willem after a short break
1: and if you just can't get enough of Squawkbox, be sure to tune into our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast to have a listen and download today's episode. For our podcast listeners out there today, stick around for some more. And the opening calls as we head to break. Uh, looking weak. We're down 24 on the FTSE, 58 on the Zetradax in Germany, 21 down for the French market, 62 for the Italian MIB. So we're looking very weak before the start of the session. EU's 27 leaders will discuss the bloc's strategic agenda for the next five years at an informal meeting in the Romanian town of Cebu today. Trade will be one of the key points for discussion with the EU set to pursue a, quote, robust, ambitious and balanced trade policy. Let's get out to Willem for more. He joins us live from the summit. Uh, Willem, we're counting down to the European parliamentary elections as well, so just set the scene for us today.
3: Well, you've got these more than two dozen leaders gathering here in this medieval city, Sibiu, to talk about the future. And that's because you've got these parliamentary elections coming up at the end of this month. That will bring with it eventually a new commission. And that new european commission will itself have a new set of priorities very likely at least jean claude juncker the outgoing uh, commission president who's organized this summit here today hoping that it would be post-brexit clearly it's not he says that he'd like to see the next commission continue with some of his own uh, agenda items that he's pursued over the last few years those of course include things like retooling the european economy for the future looking at the technological industries in particular maintaining social justice, and also, of course, maintaining Europe's strong voice on the global stage. It's in the context of that area of concern that you can talk about trade. And we've heard, of course, last month from the Europeans that they can now formally start trade negotiations with the United States. We've heard from Jean-Claude Juncker recently, ahead of a meeting with his Chinese counterparts, that he would like to see a much more balanced and fair trade policy between Europe and China. So there's absolutely no doubt that the leaders gathering here today talking about the future will be watching very, very closely the developments between the US and China. We've heard from Cecilia Melmstrom. She's the trade commissioner of the outgoing commission. She would like to see the negotiations with the US wrap up before the end of this commission by the end of October. So that's quite an ambitious uh, agenda in terms of what they're trying to achieve on the trade front between the US and Europe. But they will be watching these discussions, of course, between Beijing and Washington very closely, guys.
0: Are they going to look back? This was supposed to be a strategy meeting after Brexit had happened as well, them So it's a slightly different meeting now as well. But uh, is there going to be any, any looking in the mirror? And this is the problem I have mostly uh, with the, these kind of gatherings. They never look back and say what we got wrong. And in the last five years, rather than the next five years, they, we've lost German leadership uh, in Europe, potentially. We've lost the British out of Europe as well. We've got more splits more fragmentation and more populism on the rise, perhaps in part because of some of the policies of these leaders over the last five years. Is there anyone actually saying we need a complete look at how we're doing this?
3: Well, you have to look at some of the policy agendas being put forward by commission presidential candidates. And we heard some of the details when they met over a debate in northern Italy just a few weeks ago. But in terms of this summit today, the agenda is not going to be looking in any detail at Brexit, for instance. Originally, this was scheduled to take place at the end of March, the day after Brexit but there were quite a few voices saying, well, that's not entirely appropriate. It will seem like the EU27 is celebrating the departure of the UK. That clearly hasn't happened yet. But it will really be up to the next Commission president to decide whether the last five years under Jean-Claude Juncker, there is room to criticise their predecessor and say there are things that they've got wrong, and this is what we'd like to try and do differently.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much. It looks an absolutely fantastic location. Is it lovely there?
3: Beautiful, beautiful city. Mm. Uh, originally German-built back in the 131400s, 1400s and then of course part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire up until the First World War. It's absolutely stunning here.
0: Wow. Okay, we should all stick that on our list of travels in. Well done you uh, for getting that plum assignment. Okay. <laughs> uh, but he does have to go in Brussels most of the time. It is a little bit of a payoff, right. isn't it?
1: Romania is lovely, isn't <clears> it? You been? Yeah, absolutely. I
0: haven't been. Everyone says Romania and, and Georgia somewhere else. Uh, one of our guest hosts talked about Georgia as a lovely place to go Fresh. as well. Anyway, enough of the travel channel. A standard Chartered investors have hit out against the bank's latest executive pay proposals. 36% voted against the plans, one of the biggest pay revolts in recent years, but not enough to block the proposals outright. Advisory funds had urged investors to vote against the policy, which is set to increase CEO Bill Winter's pension allowance to £474,000, a far higher boost than that for ordinary employees. Although the proposal passed, the chair of Stan Charles pay committee said the lender would, quote, engage further on the issue.
1: Commerzbank CFO Stefan Engels says the bank has not been approached by a foreign lender over a proposed merger. Amid speculation, the German lender could be the target of another deal. Italy's Unicredit and Dutch Group ING are reportedly ready to step in with a takeover bid after talks between Commerzbank and Deutsche Bank collapsed last month. The president of a German financial regulator, BaFin, has told CNBC. The collapse of merger talks between Deutsche and Commerzbank was not surprising. Speaking to a netter, he added that consolidation is not the answer to the problems in the domestic banking sector.
4: I do not believe that one or two or three major mergers do fix the challenges of the German banking market. No, no way. And that is a far broader range of um, challenges which have to be addressed. But of course, mergers can be part of it. Uh, and in fact, as I've said many times, they are a fact of life in the German banking market if you look at the lower end of the banking market any, any time. I mean, there's anything like 30 to 50 banks going out of the marketplace for years. Mergers are a very legitimate and possibly important part of improving Banking markets make things more stable, more efficient, um, uh, uh, but, but they, should, they shouldn't be overstated. Particularly cross-border mergers um, um, carry a lot of effort, a lot of challenges, a lot of complexities uh, in itself and, and have to be treated quite carefully.
1: Anneta also asked Huffeld whether European banks, including ING and Unicredit, have expressed interest in acquiring Commerce Bank.
4: We hear a lot, uh, uh, of course. Uh, we read the same newspapers and we listen to the same media. And, and, and so, of course, we know about that, such considerations. Um, there may be more options. Um, um, let's see what's coming out of it. It's too early to tell. I don't know. Um, the point I try to, to make again and again and again is very simple. It's perfectly okay to think about Merge And it's perfectly okay to think about cross-border mergers, but mergers are not miracle weapons.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.